All right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast for Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. And you know what that means. It's time for Red Wings Rewind. I am your host, Detroit sports writer, Nolan Bianchi, and got my partner in crime alongside and longtime Red Wings fan, Ethan Smith, with me today. Ethan, how's it going? Doing pretty good, Nolan, man. How about yourself? Uh, just another day in quarantine. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> today we're joined by a very special guest who's also in quarantine. Uh, he was a longtime co-host of Valenian Foster at 97 Won the Ticket, a newspaper man through and through, uh, working as a columnist and a beat writer for the Detroit News for many, many years. Uh, you can find him nowadays at the King and Foster podcast or terryfoster.blog. If you don't know who the guest is by now, I don't know how to help you. It is Terry Foster. Terry, welcome to the show. It's, it's a pleasure. Well, my pleasure. Um, it's just weird times, so um, you know, yeah. just ready to talk about a little Red Wings. So, and uh, fortunately, not talk about uh, the current Red Wings because those aren't necessarily good times either. Now, uh, you know, when we when we do these Red Wings rewind, it is typically you know a, a more upbeat thing. It's uh, it's it's a way to kind of escape the sadness that the Red Wings fans are going through these days, but we're not necessarily here to talk about a good time today. Uh, in fact, one of the darker days in Red Wings history, uh, but one that impacted the future, changed the trajectory of the franchise, and uh, you know maybe possibly made way for what was to come. Uh, so today we're going back to April 30th, 1994, Game 7, Round 1 of the 1994 playoffs. Uh, well, let's set the scene. Uh, Terry, the Red Wings, they have not yet broken their cup drought. Sergei Fedorov is named, uh, you know, regular season MVP. A rookie, Chris Osgood, emerges, starts a majority of the games. You know, what's the general feeling about this team's expectations heading into the playoffs that season? Well, the expectations were Stanley Cup or bust. And, um, you know, San Jose, who had 82 points that year, was, you know, was going to be cannon fodder for the Wings. They would dispose of them and and, but it was a tough series. And, you know, one of the problems that happened, Sergei Fedorov had one goal in the series. Steve Eisenman had one goal also. So that's a problem right there. So, um, but uh, this went to a game seven. The Wings actually outshot and outscored San Jose throughout the series. But it all came down to a game seven and a huge mistake by rookie Chris Osgood led to the game-winning goal by the San Jose Sharks at Joe Louis Arena, and uh, the crowd was pretty stunned. Um, my my involvement with that, I was uh, writing columns for the Detroit News, and after the Wings won 7-1, I asked Steve Eisenman um, if he needed to talk to the team about the importance of Game 7, about how things were different now. And he pretty much said no, that he would um, take it like he usually does, uh, stay quiet and low-key. And he didn't think that there was a sense of urgency. So I, being the bad columnist that I am, I, I predicted the Wings would lose that game. I think that at that time, Eisman didn't get it yet. He didn't understand the importance of being a captain and what needed to be done. It was a team that needed some type of, uh, pep talk because I mean they were they were in a jam the, the entire series and so this this game went down to to the wire it was two two Chris Osgood remember he had a um, puck behind the net he cl- tried to clear the puck D- 
didn't go out, wasn't even close. And before he could really get set in goal, San Jose had scored the game-winning and series-winning goal. And uh, Joe Luis Arena was pretty stunned. And it was, you know, one of the saddest, you know, I've been in sad locker rooms. This was one of the saddest that I've ever been in. I think the saddest one I ever was in when um, one time Michigan State basketball lost to, uh, oh, geez, they lost to some bad team in the first round. And, you know, they were pretty much devastated. It was Weber State. They lost to Weber State, and they were pretty much devastated. This Red Wings locker room was the same because, you know, they were looking forward to the second round of the playoffs and a play on a Stanley Cup run. But I don't think they understood at the time what it took to become champions. Well, you mentioned that uh, that locker room, and I have a quote here from the L.A. Times uh, about that game from Chris Osgood. It says, quote, everybody has been talking about the goaltending all year. I wanted to prove everybody wrong. This just proves everybody right. If I'd made that play, we'd still be playing. All I can think about is the last 10 minutes of that game. Yeah, and the funny thing is after the game, I went to the uh, – after I was writing, I went to the Post Bar, and um, it was a place the Red Wing fans went to because there was loud music. It was a real dump near the um, the Joe Lewis, and um, uh, someone said, there's somebody who wants to see you. I said, okay, and who – and I, I said, go to the beer cooler. So I went to the beer cooler, and it was Chris Osgood. I said, hey, what's up, dude? And he told me about how he thought he let the whole city down. He let his teammates down. He let everybody down. And he felt awful that, you know, he didn't do his job. You know, tried to cheer him up a little bit and tell him, yeah, you did make a mistake. But, uh, you know, some of your big guns didn't come through either. Maybe the series could have ended in fewer than seven games. But the dude was absolutely devastated. And, uh, you know, some, you know, a lot of times athletes try to re- – deflect things and you know it's not all my fault and and try to bring it to this guy he had the burden of the whole city on his shoulder and uh if you look at chris osgood's career when he messes up has a bad game or a bad <clears throat> series he almost always rebounded and was pretty spectacular uh, i remember he gave up a uh a goal from um it was from mid um, mid rink from a guy named McGinnis uh, from uh, the St. Louis Blues, and they lost the game. And then he was spectacular the game afterwards. So um, mm-hmm. that was that was who he was. So, but you know, he cared about the city. He genuinely cared about the fans. He cared about a lot of things, and and it was tough watching that him carry the burden or shoulder the burden that beer cooler. Uh, in the post bar so but the dude was devastated so going back without getting too far ahead of us here um you said the way he always rebounds and this is obviously a this is a tough story for me to hear because chris has always been my favorite goaltender growing up my entire life i was born in 95 so i luckily didn't have to live through this but my question Mm -hmm. is when like how do you think Chris used this experience to grow as a professional and really did you ever notice like a change in his demeanor as he matured into a like a, a NHL regular no the thing with Chris Osgood you never notice a change in his demeanor you just notice a change in his performance uh, he was always a low-key guy soft-spoken um, 
you know, he would talk, but, um, you know, was really just kind of a regular guy. I always uh, equate him as a regular guy, but the thing that I would notice after adversity, same guy, but a different performer on the ice. And I was pretty impressed by that. Well, the career of Chris Osgood is, is like you mentioned, like honestly, genuinely fascinating. He's 12th in all-time wins in NHL history. He's got four cups, but he was only the primary starter on really one of those teams when the rings repeated in 98. Uh, you know, he, he was replaced by – or he was traded away uh, to the Islanders before they brought in Hasek, uh before the 0-2 Cup. And then even when they won in 08, Hasek started that, that playoffs – as the primary starter, how does this play end up changing the trajectory of not only Chris Osgood's career, but Red Wings history? I mean, if, if Osgood has a solid playoff and the Wings lose in the second or third round instead, do they go out and even get Vernon? Um, I think they would have. There was, there always seemed to be, you know, we don't quite trust this guy. He's good, but we can always do better. He's good but he's got surrounding players around him. He should be stopping the puck. He doesn't have that many chances. And, you know, sometimes Chris would be, um, you know, down in, in, at the goal kind of board. And uh, he said that um, that sometimes affected him, you know, lack of, of uh, action. Uh, you get bored down there sometimes. And, uh, but he always felt this. He should always stop the puck. The only time someone should score on him was on a rebound. So that was his mentality, but, you know, I, I just think that they felt they needed veteran leadership in goal. Mike Vernon was that. Hashik was that. And, and Osgood did get his opportunities, but it just seemed like it's, he's a guy, but he's not the guy. He's not, you know, the guy that we need this month. We got everything in place to win a cup except at goalie. But you have to understand, this this town is like this. Who are the two people we don't trust? The Lions starting quarterback mm-hmm. and the uh, starting goalie for the Red Wings. So um, I don't know if he could have done anything to change that except win a cup, which, you know, he eventually did for people to trust him. And even then, a lot of people didn't trust him. When you look at that moment where, you know, people started to have outward doubts uh, on whether Steve Eiserman could get it done as a captain, what long-term impacts did this series loss have on this team? Well, yes. It seems Steve Eisenman was scrutinized as a captain. And I think the following year, uh, many of us wondered if he was the right captain for this team. And then a couple of years later, he was considered one of the greatest captains in Red Wing history or, you know, one of the best captains in sports at that time. That's because they won a cup. Um, you know, and he grew as a player. Uh, you know, if Steve, Steve Eisenman came in, is just a goal scorer and an assist man. And Scotty Bowman's told him, that's not good enough. We need you on the defensive end. We need you to, to be a more all-around player. Even if it's, you know, sacrificing a few goals and assists here, we need more from you. And I think Steve Eisenman learned from that. Uh, probably tough love. Everybody didn't like the teachings of Scotty Bowman, but you listened to him, and um, that kind of propelled him. <laughs> Having, uh, I mean, what you? Let's go back to the conversation you were talking about earlier when you met up with, uh, or when Osgood asked to speak to you at the post. 
I think it's really interesting to, you know, when you think about a professional athlete, you think of him as, uh, you know, a, an adult, matured man. But Chris Osgood at the time, he's only 21. And, uh, you know, as somebody who was recently 21, that's still a kid. What did you notice from talking with him about maybe just his maturity or, you know, how he felt at the time? Was it out of the ordinary for him or for a player to, like, reach out to a columnist like that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it is because we don't know anything. We're, we're just stupid sports writers who, you know, cover the team. We don't have the insight. We don't, we've never played the game. But he used to seek the counsel of everybody. It wasn't just me, but I'm sure, you know, he talked to Eisenman a lot. Uh, he talked to uh, Dino Cicerelli when they were teammates. Just a bunch of people. He wanted, he wanted to know everything. So, he, he admitted he didn't know everything, uh, but he sought the advice of everybody, and I, I think he wanted a well-rounded education, so to speak, off the ice from me and probably some other people too. So, uh, But he was – yeah, I thought it was strange, but it, to me it was a guy that wanted an education. He never wanted that to happen again, and you know, he, he felt he had to mature from there. I mean, was he just looking for reassurance? Do you think that you know it was uh, that it it wasn't all on him? I, I you know he said that's kind of how he felt. No, no, he he said no, nah, I messed up. I think he wanted to unload. Uh, he wanted to con- he, he wanted to be a confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the at the end of the day, he wanted to learn from this. And if I or anybody else had something to tell him that he could put in the back of his mind he was going to use it so um it wasn't a what was me thing even though when i walked in there his head was down and i was like whoa this poor guy uh it was more i messed up i can't let this happen again i let everybody down and we would still be and if it wasn't for me it was almost like the la times quote um but maybe a little bit more in depth i do want to it was a rough moment for him I do want to get to, you know, a little bit more of the sights and sounds from the locker room. But, you know, when I was uh, when I watched this this highlight back, when Jamie Baker scores this goal, uh, instantly becomes a San Jose Sharks legend, their first playoff appearance in franchise history. Uh, you know, they score the goal and then it's not just stunned silence. It's a stunned silence that you know, indicates like, oh, no, that wasn't right. Like, it feels like, you know, when there's something uh, that happens and, and the whistle's blown dead and nobody's really sure what's going on, that everybody's kind of right. standing around, like, that's how it felt. Uh, you know, what do you remember just about the emotion that surrounded that goal from all angles in that moment? Well, there was a few things going on. First, uh, there were some people who were just pissed. And I'm talking about Red Wing fans who are like, man, here we go, damn it. How can this happen? There was others like, this can't be happening. So I think you had a, like, kind of two reactions at the same time, and maybe that's why there was a strange sound in that building. Um, I, I don't think anyone could believe it. Uh, you, you saw the play unfold, but, you know, it was always, you know, the wings are in trouble, but they'll get out of it somehow, and this time they didn't. So um, I think there was anger and people stunned at the same time. When you went into that locker room, uh, obviously Osgood was was having quite a hard time with it. He was weeping in his stall. 
uh, as accounts have described. Who were some other guys in that locker room who took the loss, you know, particularly hard, and how do you think it changed them? You know, I think everybody did. And Steve Eisenman did um, because he only had one goal in that series, and uh, he didn't he didn't think he played well. Um, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe he never said this, but I thought maybe he thought he failed a little bit as a captain that he needs to grow from that, uh, from series. Sergey Fedorov, who knows with that guy? Um, he's kind of hard to read. Um, you know, it, it seemed like it was just loss number, you know, 30 in it in his regular season game. Yeah, he was upset, but he wasn't, it wasn't like it was the end of the world for him, but for Eisenman, it was the end of the world. Um, so I, I do remember that he was upset. Maybe he felt that he failed as a captain and as a player in that series. And obviously Chris Osgood took it harder than anybody else because he made the play that everybody remembered from that series. Well, I think going forward, uh, I, I, I'm just talking strictly off the top of my head here. So somebody wants to fact check me out there, go for it. But I'm pretty sure that from that point on, I mean, they made it past the first round every year until the year they, before they went back to the cup in 2002, when they were swept or where they weren't swept, but they got knocked out by the LA Kings in the first round in 2001. Uh, just an, it's kind of an overall like, Hey, we're not a team who goes out in the first round anymore. Did you kind of get the sense that, those days were over once they got over the hump in 95 and, and went to the cup final? Yeah, to a certain extent, but I also understand about this, that the Stanley Cup playoffs, sometimes a very, very strange that um, uh, eight seed can scare the jabbers out, out of a one seed, a seven seed can beat a two seed. Um, so, you know, the key to me in all this is, the goaltending, goaltending has to be superior that, you know, when you look at the totality of that series, you could even say that the wings outplayed San Jose over the course of the series, mm -hmm. but they still lost. And um, that's just hockey. That's what makes it un unique more than any other sport. It's why I really enjoy the Stanley cup playoffs. Cause I mean, you can watch Boston playing, uh, you know, number two seed Boston playing and number seven seed Carolina, and you still have no idea who's going to win this series. They just go at it. Um, you know, bounces of the puck here and there, uh, change things around. Maybe a little bit more hustle by one player on a certain play turns things around, and that's what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs so great. Yes, I did think the Wings would be a dynasty. Yes, I did think they would win a bunch of cups, but was I sure of that? No, just because of the uh, way hockey goes. You know, when you just kind of think about all that they accomplished over those years and just with the many different goaltenders that they went through doing it, uh, do you think that – I mean, personally, I think that Chris Osgood is maybe a bit undervalued in the eyes of Red Wings, and maybe that's just because uh, I undervalued him for so long, not maybe necessarily realizing – uh, how good he was for so long, but without those marquee moments, without winning, you know, without taking them to the cup in 95 or winning it for him in 97 or winning it for him in 02. I mean, do you think that there's a, a sense of underappreciation throughout the hockey world of what Chris Osgood did? Or, or do you think that he was uh, maybe 
benefited from having those teams around him and, and kind of as a, as a guy who's right where he deserves to be? Um, I, I think he benefited by that team. It was a great team. Uh, they could score at will or they could become a defensive team. They could become whatever Scotty Bowman decided he wanted them to be. So he benefited by that. And I think that's a re- there's a reason, uh, you know, we have the debate, should he be in the Hockey Hall of Fame? And, and the answer has been no so far. So, you know, it's tougher for goalies to get in. And I know he has stats that, you know, if you look at the stats, he should be in there. But when you eyeball it, I would say he should not be in. So there's that tough, you know, you know, give and take about Chris Osgood, about should he be in, should he not be in. I know he wants to be in. Um, he he thinks he deserves it. So I remember talking to him a few years ago, and he said, I heard you, you think I shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I said, yeah, I'm guilty of that. And he said, well, I think I should be in there. And he, he told me why. And, and uh, you, know, he, you know, he had – rough patches like anybody, but he had very good patches. And, uh, he, you know, he did mention the fact that he thought he rebounded well from adversity and that that should play a role also. And that, you know, bottom line, he won a whole bunch of games and he's got a bunch of rings on his fingers. So that's what he was uh, putting his, uh, you know, mark on. You know, having conversations with him over the years, had he ever kind of touched on how that series was able to impact his career after the fact, like maybe just kind of uh, in retrospect, I suppose? Now, we never talked about that after that evening uh, at the uh, anchor. Um, I, I think maybe next time I see him, I will ask him that, and I'll get that answer for you. All right. So if you ever have me again, I'll uh, I'll tell you. But, no, we never really talked about that, how that imp- impacted him. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, when you have a guy who's an emotionless him, who wants to do good, not only for himself but for others, I'm sure that impacted him and he came in more determined and uh, more focused and uh, less error-prone uh, because of that play. You know, like you said, you never wanted that to happen again, so that has to have an impact on you. Well, Terry, uh, we certainly would like to have you back on this show again, so uh, we'll definitely have to set that up. But in the meantime, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure taking a trip down memory lane and a, and a bit of an unconventional uh, Red Rings rewind. We usually, like I said, do happier moments, but this, I think, is, is interesting because I, it was a – it was a fork in the road for the franchise, basically. So I thought it would be interesting to right. revisit that. You, you know, to to become a champion, you have to overcome adversity. And maybe this was the game that turned them into champions, although they did lose in New Jersey in the Stanley Cup Finals after this. But, you know, maybe that was the ball that got things rolling. So next time I come up with a little happier tune for you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, we'll be looking forward and to I'll ask Osgood that question if I run into him. Perfect. We would uh, definitely appreciate that. Now, where can people find you these days? I know you got the podcast and you got the blog, but is there any place else that that people can find you? Yeah, uh, I'm not supposed to call it a podcast because you can actually see it on television. But uh, Jimmy King and I do a quote-unquote screencast that you can catch on N as in Nancy, R, M as in man, screencast, 
dot com. And uh, I don't know how to work this, but suppose you can see it on your TV if you have Comcast and other things like that. So um, uh, we we do that. Uh, we we pump out four shows a week, and uh, we're actually live at uh, two o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then you can download it after that if you want to check it out. But it's fun doing the the streamcast with Jimmy King. He's a good guy, and and we we kind of take a peek behind the curtains a lot of times. Uh, between the athlete and media um, perspective. So there's things we don't understand about each other, and so we kind of learn from each other. Well, I certainly love that. Now, all you, I, uh, you, know, you don't have to get too much into this. I hear you're writing a book as well. Is that? Yeah, I um, actually, I just finished it. I'm supposed to send it in today uh, to a publisher. It's uh, The Characters in the Wild Times of the people that I met during my childhood. I grew up during a very turbulent time in Detroit. Black-white relationships were at all-time low. We had the riots. Um, we had a lot of things, and I had some pretty interesting happenings growing up, and so I just kind of wrote about it. And um, so I don't know when it's going to come out. I know I've, I've turned it in, and so it's going to be up to the publishers that, to figure out what to do with it so fingers crossed we will be on the lookout for that and keep our fingers crossed alongside with you and if that book does come out we'll absolutely uh will be a good excuse to have you back on it all right beautiful and i'll do it <clears throat> excellent well thank awesome. you so much terry it was great talking to you all right no problem you guys take it easy